The second piece is really the expectation of what am I going to do uh, in this event. If, if all I'm doing is uh, passively listening to content and I, I don't get to participate, I don't get to interact, uh, then people tend to value this much less uh, than you know than than, than an experience where I know that I'm going to meet you know ten people. I know I'm going to have maybe a one-on-one work quick session with the speaker, then people value this much more. So we, we, what we have fun is that the, the, the most valuable part of an online event is not necessarily the content per se, is the abilities uh, to meet other people or interact with other people around that content. So it's really the potential of meeting other people, whether it's to get th- things done, get deals done, uh, or it's just create friendship. Uh, those are the things that people tend to value more. Project A Podcast. Yeah, welcome to the Project A Podcast. Uh, my name is Florian Heinemann and I'm one of the hosts here. And today we have a very special guest, Xiaoying Hu. Uh, she's a founder of Run the World, uh, a really hot US startup. Uh, but she will uh, introduce herself in a minute. And then we also have Rainer, uh, who's uh, also our managing director and CEO at Project A, and Martin Bach, who's part of our marketing team and specializes especially on, on running um, online events and uh, apart many other things and has become a real expert in this. But uh, I would first like to hand over the word to Xiaoyin and um, please introduce yourself real quick, who you are, what company you represent, and uh, then we get right into it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm Xiaoying, uh, and I was the I'm the founder and CEO of Around the World. Uh, I started the company um, a little bit over a year ago, uh, and, and basically we're an online events platform that's focusing on uh, social interactive events where people can meet each other. Uh, and we recently got our funding, a Series A from Andrews and Horowitz and Funders Fund. I'm super happy to host uh, <laughs> your your bigger conference uh, in a little bit as well. So thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and that's actually the the context because as as you guys probably are aware of, uh, Project A is uh, basically hosting its annual conference, uh, the Project A Knowledge Conference this year on the 30th of October. And we're actually going to do this based on Xiaowin's tool. Um, and uh, that's why we're very excited to, to have her here. But please, could you could, could you give us a little bit more of your personal background? How I mean, because you founded this, around uh, uh, the world before COVID, I mean, before everybody was talking about online events. So, I mean, that was kind of a coincidence that, that it came uh, about basically uh, at the same time, but but you started like two years ago. And and what what was kind of the background? How did you to, to basically get into the space? Yes. Uh, so, you know, my personal background is I was uh, born and raised in China uh, and I moved to the U.S. Uh, for college. Um, and so after college, I worked at Facebook and Instagram uh, for three years as a senior product manager, uh, mostly on the video entertainment space. Um, then I you know, went to Stanford for business school. Uh, it was actually after the first year of business school, I dropped out uh, to start around the world. <laughs> so I still only have a bachelor's degree. Uh, so the, the story was, was my mom is a pediatric neurologist uh, in China, and she has never been to an international conference until last year. So it was 2019, earlier in the year, she went to Chicago for the first time uh, to go to her first international medicine conference. Um, and it was a great experience because she got to meet another doctor from Dubai. Turns out they share the same rare patient case. And it was super helpful for her to figure out you know, what she wants to do with her, with her patient, which in her industry means uh, saving somebody's lives. Um, but that was just not 
easy for her to go to any international conference because you know coming from China and to get the visa and to travel and she doesn't speak English very well and so you know it's just really hard for her um, at that time I was at Stanford and I know the Stanford doctors they have you know conferences or events you can meet meet other doctors pretty much every month it's super easy um, you can just go downstairs and go to a conference well, my, mom, my, my mom it took 35 years in your career to finally had the opportunity. So that time we're just thinking there must be a way uh, where my mom can meet other doctors like that more often. Uh, and, uh, and what if we make everything online? So that's kind of why, why we decided to say, hey, is there any way we can digitize not only the content, but also the social experiences happening in a conference online? So selfishly, my mom can meet other doctors. Um, and we, we kind of launched the product <laughs> uh, the week before COVID. It was kind of crazy. And then uh, we instantly got a lot of I guess interest, uh, but it it was very when we first got started. Most people think that was a really stupid idea because they thought you know uh, we're going to conferences because we want to check out Las Vegas for fun and you're depriving um, this opportunity from us and we're not gonna like it. But then I guess COVID hits and all of a sudden it, it, we don't really need to educate people why they they need this. Can you talk a little bit? I mean, because everybody latest by now is aware of things like Google Meet and and Zoom and. Uh, has been using it now for months in, intensively. Um, but can, can you talk a little bit about what's what's the difference between a tool like Run the World and, and Zoom? I mean, how do you basically build the networking piece into the product? Uh, what, what has been kind of the, the idea behind this and what, what are you actually doing beyond just uh, enabling the video exchange or video-based exchange of content? Yeah, so I think the way that I think about Zoom and Google Meet, um, originally they're designed to solve very different problems. I mean, Zoom has both product and a webinar product as well as a meeting product. So the meeting product is more designed for a group of people engaged in a single thread conversation. Um, the webinar is more for you know talking at people where they're just consuming something live. Uh, I think that's really not what a what an event or what a conference is about. And you go to a physical event because you wanted to meet people. Uh, you learn stuff by talking to people. Um, so I, I think the point of a, having a physical event is you know that you have the curated group of relevant people uh, meeting each other at the same time. Um, and you have different kind of social contacts or social excuses, whether it's a online cocktail party where you're expected uh, to socialize with, with each other, you know other people are expected to socialize with you. Uh, or, or sometimes you can, you can stop, um, you know, by the speaker after the event immediately, you know, grab some time and ask some questions and have face-to-face -face time. All of those really matter. Um, so we really wanted to focus on the human-to-human -human interaction, meaning not only you asking a question to a speaker, but also you as an attendee meeting other attendees. Um, so we're the place that not only offer the technology for you to have a one-on-one -on -one chat or a little group, but also offer the right social contact. So for example, we have something called a cocktail party. It's designed to make attendees talk to each other without feeling uh, any awkwardness or without feeling a lot of social pressure. So the way it works, you just join the party uh, and we'll just keep matching you with another person based on similar expertise or, or similar interests. Uh, and then you just keep getting matched with different people uh, and it's every five minutes. So it's, it's kind of like a speed dating uh, or speed networking. Uh, we design in a way so that you, know, you never need to reject people um, because it's just five minutes. Um, and you also never will be rejected by other people uh, because worst case you had a bad conversation, you can say, hey, you know, um, that was a bad match. It's around the world's fault. It's not, it's not my fault. So we, we, we noticed that that kind of format really helps introvert uh, engage with each other much better, um, even than a physical conference. So, so the way that we're thinking about what we do is offering ability for attendees to interact with each other 
um, and attendees to have face-to-face conversation with speakers without feeling this awkwardness. Um, so mm-hmm. we're kind of the facilitator of those social interactions. And um, so basically one could understand it also in a way kind of as a, as a matching uh, kind of dating platform uh, merged with with like the video conferencing piece. So is that is that fair to say? Um, yeah. So I think that it's probably not not the same exact thing as dating, but but the goal is to help facilitate um, and offer the right social contacts for attendees to meet each other. That is the most important thing: is attendees meeting each other. The other piece is making sure attendees and speakers they can have two way conversation, not just being talked at. Those are kind of the two things we're focusing on. And, and we do whatever it takes to make sure attendees are talking to each other better, uh, more uh, often, uh, and then attendees are talking to speakers um, in, in this face-to-face manner instead of just being talked at. And so there are many different ideas we're doing, um, but the goal is the same. So we track success by saying how many attendees are talking to each other and what is the impact? Are they keeping touch? You know, Are they adding each other? Uh, and so, so we're basically all the features designed to facilitate that kind of interaction. Mm-hmm. That sounds great. I mean, what was it basically because we have a lot of founders in the audience here and so all of these people are interested in attracting or would be uh, very much uh, delighted by attracting one uh, world-class investor like Founders Fund or Andreessen Horowitz. You you were able to attract both. I mean, what, what was it basically that made them invest? Do you think this would have been possible also without COVID or was it basically uh, the perfect storm in your direction? Um, uh, like that this basically also became a lot more evident that what you're onto, that, that's what you're onto is not some kind of niche thing, but might be able to replace a lot of the, the conferences uh, that happened in the past, always in a physical kind of manner, that this might actually be, be replaced by a, a digital kind of um, alternative uh, in, in the future, even after COVID. Yeah, so uh, the funny thing is, so we, we raised our, the seed round um, October last year. Um, it was by Andreessen Horowitz, and that time there was no uh, COVID. <laughs> so I guess they are, Andreessen Horowitz, I can, uh, it was our first investor in the first round, and so they definitely invested without knowing uh, anything about COVID. <laughs> um, Founders Fund, I didn't know them before. It was actually through Series A that I started to know them. And the part that they're interested in is really the potential where what if you can bring people together where they can actually socializing with each other. Uh, I think they're more passionate about the upside of where uh, you can facilitate social interactions uh, than merely a uh, event solution. And that's kind of their premises. Okay. That is uh, good to understand. Rainer, it would be great if you could, because I mean, obviously at Project A, we've been running quite a lot of uh, digital events uh, because we had to, but also we basically saw the, the great potential in it. And that's why we also decided to run the PACON completely as a, as a virtual event uh, end of October. Can you talk a little bit about the, the do's and don'ts, kind of the best practices, uh, the things that we've learned so far over the last six months? Sure, happy to do so. Uh... <laughs> Let's start with Rainer first, and then uh, it would be great if you could jump in as well. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, before I do that, I would probably like uh, come up with a short commercial break. You just uh, mentioned uh, PACON, the Project A Knowledge Conference, and we would like actually to invite all the, the the people who listen to this to this podcast to join us on the 30th of October. We will have more than 60 talks there. Xiaoyin and, and Martin will actually be 
among them. Um, there will be Mark Robersch, uh, Tarek Müller from About You, Lea Sophie Kramer, who has built Amorelli um, for seven years, which is great. Flo, you will, you will yourself talk about marketing sophistication levels. Um, and if you're interested in hearing all and, see, and seeing all these sessions, uh, please go to projecta.com, continue to knowledge, the knowledge conference and register. And if you enter the invitation code PAP2020 for Project A Podcast 2020, then you'll get a ticket. Usually you can't buy them. It's a, it's a strictly curated event. But uh, if you enter this invitation code, then you will get a ticket guaranteed. <laughs> so sorry for that, but so much about the commercial break. And now to the best practice. Um, so I would say first one is make sure that you select the right tool. We have looked, I believe, into, uh, and Martin, correct me if I'm wrong, I, you, you were heavily involved in that, um, about 30 different tools. You need to make sure that it's very stable, that it's easy to use, that it doesn't re require complex training of those who, who will be actually using it. It needs to be easy to access so that you don't need to talk to your sysadmin in order to, to, to get really through it, install anything or so. Um, it needs to be easy for speakers and for guests. And totally, it needs to contain some networking module. Because the truth is, people attend um, any kind of event, not only for the content, but also especially for the networking aspect. And the cocktail party that we're seeing in Run the World is really a, a very nice feature that we believe is, is making a difference here. Number two, I would say, make sure that your speakers understand how to use the tool of your choice. You have to really manage your speakers a lot more and, and more actively than you would have to manage them at a, at a physical um, event. They might actually need a kind of training or a test run, and um, they have to get used to the functionalities before your event is actually happening, because otherwise you as an organizer, uh, you, you don't have it under control as you would probably usually have. The quality of your event depends a lot on your speakers being able to handle the tool that, that you're using. Um, and then the third one I would say is keep talks and speeches really short. Uh, people are super, super easily walking away from whatever they are seeing from your event as a whole or from every single uh, talk that is happening there. Um, Following uh, content for longer um, online is a lot harder than at a physical event. And when people attend uh, a physical event, they, they just stay, you know, they just stick around. While when they participate remote, literally everything is your immediate competition. Um, work that is happening at the same time, kids, your favorite Netflix show, whatever. It's, it's just basically like a click away. And you just have to cater for that. So re really keep it short, short impact sessions, and uh, then create options for them to stay in touch with, with, with the speaker, et cetera. And uh, I believe that should do the trick. Mm -hmm. Do you have anything to add, Shoin, uh, from, from things that, that you've seen so far? Because I guess there have been lots of events based on, on your tool <laughs> over the last couple of months. Yes. Uh, well, I echo a lot of the points <laughs> you guys just mentioned. Uh, I think the, the most important thing uh, is making sure that attendees are always um, interacting with some somebody or something, uh, whether it's uh, stopping a little bit 
giving a poll questions, uh, or is you know asking attendees to come to the stage. We have a we have a feature called a grab mic where you can invite attendees to come to the stage and uh, you know chime in or participate in activity or or come and ask a question. That's one of the so most popular feature is is that we realize attendees really want to come to the stage and be able to show their face and interact with speakers. So that's one that's really important. Um, the other thing is making sure that uh, you always mix the talks with some kind of networking or social piece. So it doesn't feel like you're just passively, you know, uh, watching something nonstop. Um, there's some kind of a change in mood or, or changing settings uh, that makes people excited. Um, I think the other trend we've seen is, is people started to have, they may have one conference, but the goal is that uh, they're starting to have more recurring sessions that are uh, smaller or shorter. So for example, after the PACCOM, you may want to do like a monthly cocktail party to make sure people are um, continuously you know, engaging and staying within your community. So we start to see a lot of conferences start to have those kind of recurring um, session um, on a monthly basis to keep everybody uh, alive and active. I mean, that makes a, an awful lot of sense because I guess uh, if uh, with all the you know, the, the virtual events bringing the transaction cost of doing something like that down so much, it actually makes sense to just do it basically every week or every month. And I think that is definitely something that could be a completely new business model for um, for conference organizers. Yeah. Um, one one thing that interests me in that in that respect is um, showing have you any kind of insight on how sponsors are behaving around virtual events so far because i mean that's obviously a big topic if you are a conference organizer it sounds great to to basically say okay i'm not having this one or two big conferences every year but i'm basically doing it kind of on a continuous basis but um, the question is really is the financing uh, via tickets and sponsorships is, is it still working the same way it used to um, do you have any insights on this already or is it still too early to say basically given that we are just in this uh, virtual kind of conference mode for like how, half a year now. You mean the the how do we monetize the alignments? Yeah, I mean, not, not so much you you yourself. I mean, how the tool is monetized, I think that is that is for sure. But uh, that that is that's pretty clear. But is there any insight already or any trends how well uh, online conferences uh, can be monetized from, from the organizer mm -hmm. perspective uh, compared yes. to, to, to offline events before? Yes, absolutely. Um, so the interesting things, I'll give you an example. So we had a product management uh, conference for a bunch of product managers, um, and the ticket price was $100 per person. They sold like 300 tickets. Um, then we have another one with a product management interview conference. It's just for product managers who wanted to uh, interview, uh, you know, who have an interview coming up with Facebook or Google, um, and they have kind of the right expert to talk about interviewing. Uh, and that one is, is selling $280 per, per, per person. Um, th so that's one example, um, which is, I think is still, obviously we're still early, but the thing is that the more curated uh, the event is, meaning that the content is very curated towards a particular audience. Uh, and then you know that the, uh, the audience, uh, other attendees are relevant to you, either because there's a certain barrier of entry uh, or uh, because you guys share something in common uh, or talk about a certain niche topic that you know the other uh, random person is not going to join. Um, when we see those are happening, uh, then the, the price can actually go much higher. So the curation is really important. Um, the second piece is really the expectation of what am I going to do uh, in this event. If, if all I'm doing is uh, passively listening to content and I, I don't get to participate, I don't get to interact, uh, then people tend to value this much less. 
uh, then, you know, then, then I experience where I know that I'm going to meet, you know, 10 people. I know I'm going to have maybe a one-on-one work quick session with a speaker, then people value this much more. So we, we, what we have fun is that the, the, the most valuable part of an online event is not necessarily the content per se, it's the abilities uh, to meet other people or interact with other people around that content. So it's really the potential of meeting other people, whether it's to get th- things done, get deals done, uh, or it's just create friendship. Uh, those are the things that people tend to value more. So uh, the third part is more about communicating the value. So a lot of the organizers, they just do an uh, online events um, and then they just, they don't never really communicate the value. They give people the agenda, that's it. Uh, and today is really, really hard to, uh, to to understand the value of your event if you don't communicate uh, be, because by default, people are assuming it's just going to be another uh, Zoom webinar, So uh, which is going to be boring, which is gonna, not going to be interactive, or you're not going to meet people. So by default, a lot of the attendees have this kind of somewhat negative or passive perception uh, about an online event. So you have to really spend time communicating what is the unique value you have um, as an organizer. I guess because right, right now it's early and Zoom seems to be the dominant uh, you know, winner. So everyone thinks that it's going to be another Zoom. Um, if you really wanted to charge a prize that is different from a typical Zoom webinar, you have, really have to spend a lot of time marketing and communicating the unique value, uh, which is why you know a lot of people actually asking us to give them some kind of cocktail party promo video because they really, really want to use those to communicate the value of their alignments. Mm-hmm. But that's actually fascinating. I mean, let's let's summarize this. I mean, it's we can say it's still early, but what you can see is already that, you know, due to the lower transaction cost of organizing an event, I mean, it gives you the chance to be much more specific. Uh, and, and if you're able to communicate the value of what you're actually getting and be more curated and probably also enable more specific interactions and more systematic interactions with speakers as as probably even in, in the offline world there might even be a higher uh, monetization uh, possible i think that's that's quite a fascinating thought because obviously it's it's quite counterintuitive but i i fully get your 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 train of, of thought and i think uh, if, if that will actually materialize it's uh, would be quite a cool uh, um, kind of message uh, an insight for uh, a lot of event organizers and, and, and people that kind of try to bring together people. I think that's actually a fascinating point. Um, Martin, what I wanted to get into is a little bit also um, what what we've done or what we've learned um, for events specifically for marketing and sales, or, um, basically of, of certain products, especially in the B2B space. We've We've done quite a lot of work with portfolio companies that basically weren't able to do offline lead generation anymore through conferences um, that, that were happening um, before. And so they tried to bring the whole uh, kind of lead generation uh, piece um, online and, and digital. And obviously that happens uh, also through white papers, but a big piece of this has, has become, especially for the more successful portfolio companies have become uh, marketing and, and sales or digital uh, kind of lead gen um, oriented events. Can you describe a little bit kind of our experiences there and the do's and don'ts uh, that you see and show in? It would obviously be great if you could also jump in 
once uh, Martin is is basically uh, uh, finished with this point. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we also started to to look into online events uh, for sure, like in the last uh, six six months. And uh, also, our learnings are really really new, and we also just just started to to generate uh, more learnings now with the Pacon, but also, for example, with um, Spryker, one of our uh, bigger portfolio companies, uh, also hosting a, a online event soon. And uh, in, especially in the research for, uh, for how do we approach online events, um, but also long-term when offline events are possible again, um, I would summarize maybe with like three main, main points um, how, we would, uh, how we would approach it and how we now also try to approach it with um, our portfolio companies. So I think that the first um, really important point is that Uh, also with offline events, you should never do offline or online event just because everybody else in the industry is doing it. So your your strategy has also always to to come first. Yeah, if it's in your commercial um, objective to actually rather participate in the existing online event or to host even your own online event, if it's like a smaller event or Uh, or even like a, a bigger conference. And uh, if you, for example, decide for yourself, okay, we, we want to generate uh, new leads, we want to use events as a lead generation tool, and then um, both ways, an external event, but also your own event can, can actually suit these, uh, these objectives. So start with the strategy first. And then I think really important is to understand that online events are not only... Uh, kind of a piece of content that happens just at a single point of time. So we have an online event that you can leverage as a multi-layer marketing measure. That means you can advertise it before, yeah, whether with all the, uh, the marketing channels and, and performance marketing that, that are available to actually boost the participation rate in your event. You can... Uh, use the recording of all the events and all the sessions that happen during your online event and use that as snippets yeah, perfectly um, suited for LinkedIn or for Facebook in the right format. And you have like a lot of potential content pieces to do a lead generation, but also to drive people through the B2B sales funnel um, in a really sophisticated way. And uh, I think we just, We are just at the beginning what is possible. If you think of how you can, for example, segment people based on in which sessions they participated. Because these are kind of first-party data you generate of, um, uh, from, from these events. You can leverage very well to advertise your product in, in the best way possible to the audience. Because you exactly know in which topics they're interested in, what are their pain points, and how you kind of can close also the deal. And I think the last point is especially important uh, for, for people that did offline events in the past. And it was always super hard to actually calculate your uh, actual return on invest. And online events open a, a really big opportunity for, for our ventures as well to make also events much, much better measurable. So it's, I think it's a key point to always... Uh, calculate all the all the costs you have, but also especially to to understand how you acquire participants and how these participants then involve in your sales funnel if you are able to convert them. And I think that these are kind of the three three points: strategy, yeah, multi-layer marketing event, and always calculate your return on invest.
Do you have anything to add, Shaolin, uh, from, from the US? Anything you've seen uh, companies doing it in a really clever way to, to use uh, your uh, like events based on your platform for, for marketing and sales purposes? Yes. So uh, we started to see a bunch of new type of lead generation event. I mean, the traditional way to generate lead is through webinar. I mean, we use uh, on 24 or you know, some kind of webinar tool. Uh, and we've started to see people kind of framing the lead generation event less like a webinar to their people, but more as a party. <laughs> so they're saying you're invited to a fun kind of thing. So they kind of, it's kind of, they're trying to digitize the um, old days where you invite your uh, clients for some kind of a uh, dinner or lunch or sports game, uh, where it feels more casual, feels more intimate, um, and you kind of build a relationship with them. You may talk about your product with them. So that's kind of what, what I see people started to do in around the world is they probably still have their uh, old way of, of webinar, uh, or sometimes some of them they, they realize, hey, it's really hard to get people's attention nowadays. Um, and what, why don't we just frame this as a as a party or as a as an intimate event uh, where it doesn't feel that promotional, but when you come here, you're going to have a great time. It's going to be engaging. And you, you're going to kind of, and sometimes that, that's one thing. And, and there's, if they frame it differently, the second thing is they, um, I was just talking to a customer uh, and they will design some kind of discussion question for the prospects to talk to each other. Um, and they're telling me that uh, they want the prospect to talk about the problem they're facing. The more they talk about the problem uh, by themselves, the more they're going to realize they need a solution, uh, which is basically the, the company. So they don't even actively promote about their company as much. They really just want the, <laughs> the attendees to talk about um, their problems with each other. And, and then by doing that, they're kind of creating this engaging experiences that makes everybody realize that um, they, they need the, the solution which is kind of interesting. So we started to see that a lot of kind of new ways of lead generation happening. Um, and the key is really about how do you make sure that people are uh, giving you the attention that they need. So they do whatever it takes to make sure people are paying attention. Mm -hmm. Makes a lot of sense. Probably trying to, you know, become a little more abstract and visionary here. Um, what what do you see showing as kind of, you know, the, the technological piece that's still missing to make uh, you know, digital networking and digital events, a, a really great experience. I mean, you, you definitely made a great step forward. I think that's that's 100% acknowledged. But is there anything that you think could, could really help us? Is there any piece of hardware, VR, AR, anything that could really enable um, us um, to, 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 to make the experience even, even better and, and more realistic and more fruitful? Do you have anything in mind or anything that you could wish for or if uh, yeah. you could put into the product? Yeah, so, I mean, we were, I was trying some kind of the VR thing. The, the, the problem with that, I guess they're twofold. One, the technology was not ready. Hopefully we can have some VR that is ready. But the second thing is that you kind of have to carry the, the VR headset, which is, uh, it's kind of an extra barrier. So I personally have not become a big fan of the VR or the uh, style of, of, of interaction. But I do think there's a lot of AR opportunity. Uh, how can we make, um, it's not only just like, hey, let's, we're in a, you know, there's a bunch of different products that feels like it's a barbecue space and your face is on top of the barbecue. I think that's cool, but I still don't think that's like focusing on the real point here. Uh, the real point is that uh, how can you, what if, you know, I can kind of um, show my, my hand, I can really high five with the other person uh, in front of my, my camera. Uh, and then it will kind of share our contact or something like that. Or maybe I sh shake hands, I just put my hands next to the camera. 
then we're, it feels like we're really shaking hands. I think some of those subtle, um, yet, uh, yet, yeah, like it feels really lightweight, but subtle ways of helping people get closer to each other. I feel like that is something that I think can, can definitely facilitate a lot of those interaction. I, I don't necessarily think that put your face on an on a, on a image of a barbecue uh, is going to necessarily help you feel closer. So there are some of the stuff that I'm trying to figure out. Can we do some signal um, identification uh, that, that can you know, showcase your different emotions? Because I do think that when you're only able to show the face uh, and not being able to show your entire body, there are certain type of signatures or gestures that's that's missing uh, from the social setting. And that's something we actually are very open to. Uh, we haven't found a really good solution yet, but we're really open to kind of exploring what else can we do. Uh, so that's one thing. And the other thing is more about how do we leverage data better? Uh, and not only just, just collecting data, but also how can we use data uh, to p- help people meet the right person, help them have the right conversation. I think there's a lot of different ways we can, we can do uh, leveraging the data. Uh, and how can we use data to offer a more personalized um, experience? And maybe that means you, you can have a personalized talk, you talk to a personalized set of speakers that you like, uh, and interact with personalized set of attendees who can be really helpful towards your unique goals. Um, I, think, I think on the data front, we do expect to have a lot of improvement there as well. Okay, so looking forward to seeing a lot more things from you guys in the next couple of years. I think that is um, uh, that, that's going to be quite exciting and or very exciting. Uh, probably to to finish off this podcast, um, what do you actually think? I mean, or like obviously Rainer and Martin, you're also uh, very much invited to ship in. But what's your expectation? I mean, COVID is probably you know everybody says sometime next year we'll, we're going to have a vaccine and and then. Uh, the, uh, things will turn like return back to normal. Might take a couple of months longer or, or, or shorter. We don't. Nobody really knows. But the expectation is hopefully that in, in 2021, latest 2022, things will return back to normal um, and uh, to, to what it was before. So the question is: Will will offline events return as they have been basically in place before? Uh, or, or will just a fraction of them return or just a part of them return? And if, if yes, what, what part will return? Which part won't return? I think that that's probably a, a very interesting question. Do you have any hypothesis there, uh, Xiaowin, what's, what's going to happen? Well, I think the Vegas night probably will return. <laughs> I do think people want to have a good time, uh, and, and that's totally fine. Um, but I, at the same time, I, I think the way we think about online events uh, should not we should not think about it as is, is eating part of the offline event space. I think it definitely will eat part of the offline event space. Uh, but I think the the trend that I universally see across many different type of organizer is that uh, they used to only have a local presence, uh, but now they're realizing, huh, I didn't know that my audience can and I can come from Brazil, can come from India, come from Israel. Uh, I didn't know that you know my content or my speakers or my community. Uh, can be this important for people from a different location. Uh, that's something that we universally have seen. Uh, and uh, we also universally have seen that some of the organizers, when they're trying some of the online events, they did it the first time. They realized, huh, I can do this more often. I can do this every month. I can do this you know, every two weeks. I used to do this every year, but now I'm doing this you know, 12 times a year. Um, so I do think that the, the, the upside for the online events is coming from the additional value or the, the additive uh, events uh, that are generating I don't think it's necessarily coming from eating up existing physical events. So I do think that both will exist because they're really satisfied in different need. I mean, I, I think it's really hard to try to mimic the touch, the physical touch where you meet people and you 
party together in the same setting. You can hold hands and hug and have a great time and get some cocktails. And in Vegas, I think it's harder to mimic. But at the same time, not every single event needs to have that component. Some something is just about making it easy. Like my mom, she wouldn't be able to to do any physical events like that, you know, once a year.、Uh, but she she now can at least have twelve things that she can go to where before there's zero.、Uh, so I think that's kind of really the value that we wanted to play,、uh, making sure that we make it so easy for a lot of the people who otherwise wouldn't be event planner to to do something.、Uh, so that's kind of the, I think that's really the potential of the online event space is to lower the barrier, make more people be, become event planner, make existing event planner do more events. That's really the the focus here instead of trying to. Trying to like you know、uh, block people from going to Vegas and have a great time. That's that's、mm-hmm. my perspective. Yeah, but that's actually a fascinating perspective. I think it's it's a little bit similar to to you know online education that kind of opened the path for people in Africa to participate in in a class from MIT, yeah, which basically wouldn't have been possible. And I think、uh, this could have this could be something very similar where the like top class events in Europe or. Or the U.S.、Uh, become accessible to people around the world, and I think that's actually a, quite a fascinating vision to go for. So that's right in the advertising world, you know, Facebook, for example, I, I used to work there.、Uh, they, you know, before advertising is more like you have to do print media or TV, and if you're just a small SMB, you wouldn't be able to afford、uh, an ad. Uh, so when Facebook and Google started this digital advertising,、uh, that makes it makes it possible for SMBs, small person, spend a small company to spend like you know fifty dollars to promote something, which otherwise would be impossible. So they actually grow the entire pie of digital advertising. They grow the entire pie of advertising、uh, by having those kind of digital advertising. So I, I really believe that we're doing the same thing here. We're we're not really trying to eat up the event industry. It's already a trillion dollar industry, but there's so many inefficiencies and lack of barrier that. Um, you know, like the high barriers that we can help mitigate, and we can really grow the pie of of, of online events as well, of, of the whole event industry as well. As well.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really love this analogy. I mean, it's it's perfectly true. I mean, by lowering kind of the the transaction cost of accessing. This uh, this uh, basically space a similar way that Facebook and Google have done to to digital advertising and, and like allowing self service to do something like that. I mean that has really,、uh, as you said, I mean it kind of、uh, really opened up the the pie to to a lot more um、uh, like a lot broader spectrum of businesses. And I think that's that's a, a very interesting analogy. So thanks a lot, Shawin, for for sharing all your thoughts and for for giving us an idea of what we have to expect. From online events、uh, already today, but also also the future.、Um, I hope、uh, everybody here that that listens to this、uh, has, has basically gotten some insight. And if you have any questions、uh, towards Shawin, we are more than happy to pass it on. Just email us under podcast at projectaid.com.、Uh, and obviously, you will also have the possibility to talk to Shawin personally in the cocktail party. After her talk at the Project A Knowledge Conference,、uh, you can actually check out whether Run the World works the way that Shawin、uh, promised it to us. But I can assure you it does. But uh, uh, so very much. I do. I do have one thing.、That. I guess I'm、yeah? going to quickly promote a little bit.、Uh, we just launched a standalone、uh, cocktail party. Actually, so you don't need to do a conference to do a cocktail party. You can just click two button, choose a time of your party, and then share the link. And then you have a party, so we see a lot of community running it every month. So if you have any community or company you want to do this, just click two button, you will be able to start a cocktail party. And, and you can you find this on roundtheworld.com. Yes, roundtheworld.today. www.roundtheworld.today. Yeah. Okay, perfect. That's a good.、Uh, that's a good hint or a very useful tip. 
So thanks a lot and uh, have a great day. Uh, and, uh, just... Thank you so much for having me. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. If you did, how about you subscribe on Spotify and or iTunes and give us a rating.